0: Greetings, everyone. This is Abhishek Padra, a.k.a. AB, and you are listening to the Fibonacci Talks. Everyone has their own way of expression. I believe uh, we all have a lot to say, but finding ways to say it is more than half the battle won. Fibonacci Talks uh, is a very personal journey where I take a baby step to express myself, and have meaningful conversations with all of you. Fibonacci Talks is for the people whose spectrum of interest ranges from data, AI, leadership, to science, mathematics, philosophy, and consciousness. Thank you for joining me in this wonderful journey. My son is five years old. He's a happy-go-lucky regular kid who loves his Lego sets, throws tantrums with food, asks endless questions and hates doing his own work. I think parenting is a multivariate and dynamic process with ever-changing OKRs for different phases of growing up. It's an iterative process. One goal, however, remains unchanged is to set up the kid for success and get him ready to handle this world confidently and independently. Having said that, I have also realized that there are unexpected ways in which children can teach us about effective leadership. I noticed that the world from their perspective has mostly no boundaries, no limitations no social norms, no habits, no fear. They constantly amaze us with their insights and perspectives. They approach problems with a fresh and curious mind and at times find a simple solution to fairly complex issues. But more than that, they teach us the importance of kindness, empathy and compassion. Today's episode of Fibonacci Talks is about the leadership lessons that I have learned from my five-year-old. As I said earlier, he's a regular five-year-old kid with no special genius-level talent. He does have an engineering bent of mind and loves creating stuff uh, using a combination of Legos and building blocks, and dominoes, and even leftover broken bits from other toys. But apart from that, he's just a regular happy kid. So let's get into the lessons that I've managed to learn from him. Lesson number one. Few weeks back, I was uh, sitting in my home office, staring at the laptop screen, reminiscing and um, introspecting about the year gone by and maybe, just maybe, there was a bit of a somber glint in my bespectacled eyes. I guess after some time I realised that there's another pair of eyes that are closely observing me. Sitting in a corner with a broken piece of Beyblade was my son Neil gently observing, with an undulating stance and eyes twinkling in the gloaming. My initial reaction was fairly dismissive. Must be one of his quirks and quiddities. I looked at him and said, Hey, what are you up to? Are you sad? He questioned back, ignoring my generic quip. Maybe, I answered. Why? Well, I was expecting a reward at work and didn't really get it. Honestly, I had no idea why I was in a confession mood. But there I was confessing to a five-year-old. So, you lost a competition and someone else won? He has a habit of translating every situation into a binary storyline. I knew that, so I kind of played along. Yes, you can say that. Then he said, Do you know, last Tuesday I got the most high fives from my tennis teacher. Then on Wednesday, my best friend Rakov got the most high fives. Then on Friday, again I got the most high fives and on Saturday, Maddie got the most high fives. Okay, so what? I asked. Well, every day will not be the same, so I am neither happy nor sad after the tennis classes because of the high five counts. Honestly that was profound and probably the simplest explanation of the concept called regressing towards the mean. Regressing towards the mean uh, is a statistical phenomenon where an extreme value or observation is likely to be followed by a value that is closer to the average or mean of a population. In other words if something is unusually high or low, it is likely to return to more average value over time. The concept can be applied to many aspects of life and can serve as a useful reminder that extreme events or circumstances are often temporary and not sustainable in the long term. It can be easy to get caught up in the highs or lows of a specific moment but Understanding that things will likely balance out over time can help us maintain a perspective and avoid making rash decisions based on temporary fluctuations. For example, if someone experiences an unusually high level of success in their career or personal life, it may be tempting to expect that level of success to continue indefinitely. However, regressing towards the mean reminds us that it is more likely that future successes will be closer to the average or norm rather than consistently exceptional. This understanding can help us manage our expectations and avoid getting overtly confident or complacent. On the other hand If we are facing a difficult period or setback, it can be helpful to remember that this too may be temporary and that things are likely to improve over time. Regressing towards the mean can serve as a reminder to stay resilient and to keep things in perspective even during challenging times. Regressing to the mean is a lesson that we've all learned but often forget. At times, it takes a five-year-old to reinforce that learning and instill a strong life and leadership lesson in a parent. Lesson number two. Driving my son to school is a lot of fun. We use that time to solve majority of the problems of life, universe and everything. During one such sessions of problem-solving, a series of profound questions came up. The context to this is that I recently taught him the concept of exchange of money against goods, like Legos, and services, like movie theaters. Dad, who pays for the traffic? Mmm, I don't think anyone pays for the traffic. Okay, who pays for the black smoke coming out of the truck? Well, technically our health gets affected by the depleted air quality and unknowingly we pay for it. Why doesn't the driver pay for the black smoke? You do have a point, but unfortunately there's no system in place to make the vehicle owner pay for the black smoke. You mean a system like a solar system? Nah, not really. It's a carbon tax system. That. what is a tax? (laughs) So the quizzing continued till the point where I surrendered my intellectual prowess and said, I don't know all the answers, but I sure promise to investigate. But then I pondered upon the discussion at a later time and realized that the kid essentially simplified a fairly complex concept in economics called unpriced externalities. In economics, an externality uh, is a cost or benefit that is experienced by a third party as a result of an economic transaction between two other parties. An externality is considered unpriced when the cost of benefit is not reflected in the price of the goods or services being exchanged. This can often lead to a market failure where the market fails to allocate resources efficiently. So, for example, a factory that produces goods generates pollution as a byproduct of its production process. The pollution is an unpriced externality because the cost of the pollution is not reflected in the price of the goods produced by the factory. As a result, the factory has an incentive to produce more goods than is socially optimal because the social cost of the pollution is not borne by the factory. Another example of an unpriced externality uh, is the use of a car, where the owner doesn't really bear the full costs of the traffic congestion and Air pollution caused by the car the individuals who use public transport or walk or cycle bears the cost of externalities such as air pollution traffic congestion and accidents caused by the car but the price of car does not reflect or does not include any of these costs To contextualize, Elon Musk recently proposed a carbon tax system to attribute a fair price to the externality of carbon emission. Governments can actually use a variety of policy instruments to internalize unpriced externalities and ensure that markets allocate resources efficiently. So the lesson learned from a five-year-old is that simplification is a key. Without really understanding the economic theory, the kid had a simple solution to the problem of traffic congestion and carbon emission. Lesson number three: A trips to Hamley's are fun. My son enjoys serving the toys with occasional demands, and uh, I enjoy the banter with him. And of course, there are deep philosophical discussions on the necessity of Beyblades in our society. <laughs> During one such trip, there was, there was a negotiation about a Lego gauntlet. Here's how the conversation went. Dad, can I have this Lego gauntlet? Well, it looks pretty expensive. How much can you check? Hmm, it's more than five thousand. Sorry, it's too expensive. Okay, Dad, I understand. Well, that was easy, at least that's what I concluded after the conversation. After a few weeks, on a Saturday, a friend and I were discussing the ergonomics of my home office chair. I was passionately describing my search for the perfect chair, which started few years back and eventually concluded during the pandemic. The price of the chair also came up and I think I gloated that it was heavily discounted and I paid just 10000 for this work of art made up of high quality fall leather, which was actually a steel. My son Neil was sitting across the table having his dinner as well. And all of a sudden he said, wait a minute, is 10000 more expensive than $5,000? Yes, but what's your point? Dad, the Lego gauntlet which you refused to buy was 5,000 and you said it was expensive and just now you said that 10,000 is a steal. I'm confused. Son, that was a Lego gauntlet and this is a chair. Exactly, Dad the lego gauntlet has five infinity stones. Thankfully, the discussion ended there because the mothership intervened and took the little data gladiator away from us for bedtime. Two important lessons here. Number one, do not react immediately in a debate. And number two, wait for the right time and bring data to every fight particularly in high stakes or high pressure situations. When we slow down and don't react we are using the analytical side of our brain we take a step back introspect, analyze, research, gather data and then when the right time comes we go back and choose the battle that's worth fighting. Lesson number four. My son loves shortcuts. For example, his writing skills are not as good as his peers. Now, in order to complete his homework, he would often come over to my home office while I'm working, catch me unaware, ask me to write on a word or a sentence on a piece of paper and then rewrite that using the same paper on top of his workbook to create a good enough impression for him to seamlessly trace and finish his homework. Now, when I found out the trick, I had a conversation with him and here's how it went. Hmm. So, you are secretly taking my help with your language homework? Yes, dad, you can say that. But, Did you realize that you're not learning how to write properly? What will you do when you actually grow up? Well, the answer is simple, Dad. I'll use a keyboard. And also, you told me last week that shortcuts are good and maths is all about shortcuts. And I like maths. Once again, I had to surrender to the impeccable argument of a five-year-old. To be honest, I did propagate the theory of shortcuts to him few weeks back when I told him the story of Carl Friedrich Gauss, who invented the shortcut of summing n number of integers when his teacher, Herr Butner, tasked his class to find the sum of the first hundred integers. I told him that mathematics is all about discovering these shortcuts which simplifies complex tasks. Little did I know that he would actually take it seriously and start inventing such shortcuts to navigate through his school tasks. Lesson number 5 This one is more of a general observation. Not just my son but most of the kids are naturally curious they just wake up in the morning excited to learn something new over the world they have a natural stochastic gradient decent algorithm working at full capacity 24 bar 7 take them to the planetarium they'll get curious about the universe and start learning within few days remove the training wheels of the cycle they'll figure out how to balance after few falls. Talk to them in a new language and they'll pick it up within a month. Human brain is a natural wonder with the best algorithms codified in it paired with the mystique of consciousness. We are born curious but the rigmarole of life along with the societal inefficiencies accelerate the process of suppressing curiosity. Unfortunately, our education system creates the first level of curiosity guardrails which shrinks further and further with time. From insanely curious and natural learners, we become methodical and heuristic driven. A researcher friend of mine once told me that it's nothing but a bias variance trade-off. Kids generalize really well and hence their learning process is less compute intensive and linear. Grown-ups on the other hand have generally high variance mental models which naturally overfits to historical data. Give us a new set of information and our mental models naturally tend to fail that's why most of us struggle to learn a new language love hierarchies and structures and display a lack of courage to try something new like a brand new cuisine or a high-risk adventure sport to summarize lesson number one success and failures are not always consistent In fact, we are all regressing towards the mean. Lesson number two, simplification is probably the key to solving every problems in the world. Lesson number three, it's more fun to bring data to every fight. Lesson number four, shortcuts are good as long as they are ethical. Lesson number five, chasing curiosity is a key to stay excited about life. Okay, so here's a disclaimer. The intent of this episode is not really to gloat about my son. As I said earlier, he's just an average kid who loves his Lego blocks, rides a bicycle, is a fussy eater and is generally curious. I truly cannot predict what he will turn out to be when he grows up, but honestly, I just love the journey of being a father. My uh, childhood best friend, Rohit, who's a great dad and is a father of two beautiful kids, shared his parenting secret sauce with me after my son was born. He said, look, you cannot be a perfect father. But the simple rule is, give him love and just be there for him. And my heuristic loving grown-up brain just follows that algorithm blindly. Before I conclude, something really exciting happened in the world of mathematics last year. The first formula for calculating the nth decimal digit of pi has been discovered by mathematician Simon Plouffe. He's the same guy who discovered the Bailey-Borwin-Plouffe formula, which permits the computation of the nth binary digit of pi in 1995. His obsession with pi is well-known. In fact, between 1975 and 1977, he held the world record for memorizing and reciting 4096 digits of pi. Now, let me quickly share the brief history of pi for all the curiosity chasers. The ancient Egyptians and Babylonians calculated pi to be between 3.125 and 3.16. The ancient Greek mathematician Archimedes used geometric methods to approximate pi to be between 3.1408 and 3.1429. Chinese mathematician Zhu Chongzi improved upon Archimedes' method, approximating pi to be between 3.14159 and 3.14160. Then, Indian mathematician Madhava Sangamagrama used infinite series to approximate pi in the 14th century. In the 16th century, European mathematicians began using trigonometric methods to calculate pi more accurately. In the 17th century, John Machin used an arctangent series to calculate pi to 100 decimal places. In the 18th and 19th centuries, mathematicians including Lambert, Legendre and Ramanujan continued to improve upon previous methods and calculate pi to even more decimal places. The advent of computers in the 20th century allowed for the calculation of pi to an unprecedented number of decimal places. In fact, the current record for the most accurate value of pi is held by Timothy Mullican, who used a computer program to calculate pi to over 31 trillion digits in 2020. Let's keep chasing curiosity together. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode and for that I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hope you enjoyed this new episode and if you did, please subscribe to Fibonacci Talks and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please also share this episode with others who might be interested in these conversations. See you on the other side. Stay curious.